Listen to Ink Studs on CITR 101.9 FM. I have a number of guests this week. Uh, they're all here to discuss the work of Oscar Kahin, um, a Canadian illustrator and painter from the 40s and 50s. We are joined today by his son Michael. Um, curator is curator your job title, Roger, at Illustration House. Uh, well. Um... Since we're not, I mean, I do curatorial things, but um, since it's uh, not really a museum or a nonprofit, um, director, I guess, is uh, is the more likely title. Okay, uh, director from of the uh, Illustration House in New York, Roger Reed, and yes. um, illustration historian and former Vancouverite, Jeline Grove. Thank you all for uh, joining me today. Um, Thank you. I guess the first part to this is to kind of tell folks about who Oscar was and why his work matters and why it's important right now. Um, 
Jalene, you've uh, kind of put together the bulk of the work for the ex exhibition catalog for the show that's in New York right now in the in the uh, illustration house. So why don't you yep. give us a bit of an intro? Okay. Um, Oscar Kahane uh, came to Canada as a refugee, and uh, he began freelancing while he was still interned in a refugee camp in Sherbrooke, Quebec. And uh, his talent was such that he... Uh, got out relatively quickly and was given a lot of work by art editors of the day for publications like Maclean's and uh, the Montreal Standard and uh, soon took a job with uh, Magazine Digest and did some war work and um, basically spent his life after that uh, freelancing for all the top Canadian publications. And uh, this show is important because we really don't have much of Canadian illustration history written down yet. Uh, there's been a few people who've delved into it over the years, but we still lack a comprehensive history. And um, we're starting to, to lose that history because it's never been recorded. So uh, Oscar was one of the most important people in our illustration history because he was so influential. He brought uh, a greater level of education with him because uh, he trained in Europe and uh, had been exposed to much more artwork, both commercial and fine, than his Canadian peers. And uh, many of them have cited him as their main influence, uh, both his, his peers then and the next generation of illustrators. Um, he also had a significant career uh, as a abstract painter with the group Painters 11 out of Toronto. And that's unusual as well. Uh, so it was really important to um, do this exhibition and start the research of his commercial art side to complement what is already known about his painterly side. Uh, and right. and, to really and at least, go ahead. Uh, I was just going to interject that at least uh, Kahane is known within Canada rather well for his fine art. But uh, here in the United States, he's really um, almost completely... A, uh, a mystery and so um, it was uh, really fun to explore both sides of his artistic output um, in uh, in putting the show together now, yeah. um, Michael with your um understanding of your father's work and stuff how did he feel about his illustration work in comparison with doing this abstract uh, fine art work uh, I was thinking exactly along the same lines and it, it really the word that came to mind immediately was embraced he embraced uh, his illustration work with you know passion and I would say you know was one of the few to really defend illustration actively and so the, uh, for a long time, he had two studios, one where he did his illustration work uh, to timelines, and the uh, he was constantly going back and forth between them, uh, where he painted at the same time, but on a much more restricted basis. And I, I can honestly say that I, I knew that he loved illustration. Yeah, I think that comes through in the work itself very much. He uh, pushed the medium far more than uh, almost any other illustrator that I could name. One thing there's, a, there's a sort of a history of illustrators uh, both defending what they do um, against the art critics 
um, sort of you know pigeonholing illustrators as being uh, people who just do uh, work for hire that they don't really have uh, their passion or their uh, creativity involved in and uh, and then a lot of illustrators also uh, wind up repudiating their commercial art and going off and doing uh, quote unquote what they feel like uh, and having uh, success or not doing fine art but uh, Oscar was really an exception to that he uh, he never repudiated his illustration nor stopped doing it and uh, the connection between the two halves of his output is really fascinating um, that's something that Jillian brings out in her her essay on Kahane in the uh, in the book we've produced, where she draws all kinds of parallels in imagery and um, symbolism between the paintings and the illustrations. It also seems he had a an expectation with illustration, um, where the work that people were making, they really need to stand step it up. Does that yeah, sound he, about right? Yeah, he he felt that uh, a lot of the illustration being done was not good enough and um, you know he kind of led the charge to, to a renaissance of illustration art in Canada uh, people of that day say that they were um, basically following American models and then Oscar came along and introduced vocabulary digital vocabulary uh, from Europe that um, allowed them to start pushing their own drawing and their own techniques in different directions. Um, and Oscar also had a lot of freedom with the art directors. Uh, it was a historical moment where art directors both in the U.S. and Canada were beginning to allow illustrators a little more freedom. And uh, Oscar was able to introduce new techniques and things that, that they were open to. And other illustrators, I think, took uh, some courage from that to also start doing that. You know the relationship with the art directors uh, was paramount. They, they, um, you know, they. We often saw them at home. Uh, it became a, you know, a, a, a very. It wasn't a commercial relationship. Uh, it was really, you know, joined forces. People really did work well together. Roger, something I'm curious about is we're, we're touching on being a Canadian, making this this work in Canada. How does he sit? when you look at his work or presenting his work there at the gallery um, how does that sit in comparison with American contemporaries does it have this unique aesthetic that you don't find south of the border yeah um, it's fascinating because uh, at the beginning all I was seeing were uh, influences in one direction or another you know artists who seem to have uh, picked up uh, Oscar's technique and uh, and turned it into something else later on or artists that seem to directly be influencing uh, Oscar but there and there were sort of I don't know uh, you could almost never stop naming them there were so many different influences that seemed to impinge on Oscar's work um, but as time has gone along I see more and more uh, his unique voice and he certainly wasn't 
just mimicking other artists, uh, but sort of you know distilling a whole tradition, a whole history of uh, different kinds of artistic expression into his own uh, you know his own method. So I can say, well, he was uh, similar to Al Parker, uh, who's one of the revered illustrators down here. Um, for being, you know, a great innovator, or his line work is very similar to so and so, or uh, his layouts are very jazzy, like you know, John Whitcomb. But uh, that's kind of marginalizing Oscar's work um, ultimately, and uh, I I found with time that I was seeing him as uh, in the top ranks without um, you know without being derivative of other artists at all the word that Jolene uh, originally used was versatility and I remember your last day at the archives in, uh, in Vancouver uh, you were stu- you were discovering stuff at a rate that uh, you know you would have missed your plane <laughs> yes yeah. <laughs> We didn't quite get through all the tear sheets, but uh, you did <laughs> with your assistance there in Vancouver. Thank goodness. Um, yeah, I, I mean, Oscar was definitely looking around and taking influence from people he admired. He does name some influences from down in the U.S., such as Milton Kniff and uh, David Stone Martin and Rico LeBron. Uh, but certainly, he he turns it to his own uses and combines it with the other things that he brought himself to the table. Tell me about some of the, um, I guess, the material. You cited four particular kind of subjects that are reoccurring in his work, Jolene. And tell us a little bit about that, of how he uses his illustration work to kind of explore that. Sorry, just uh, clarify again what... I, I remember when, I, when I read your essay, you picked out, like, uh, four particular... Um, I guess, I don't know, motifs, like the butterflies. Okay. Right. The, okay. So iconography. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay. Well, with the butterflies, uh, the earliest that I found that he was using them uh, was actually in his rendition of one of the Four Freedoms, not the Four Freedoms series that Rockwell did. Um, they were popular in Canada as well, and Oscar himself got to illustrate that series. And Freedom from Fear shows a family, a man and a woman and their daughter, and they're walking in the countryside. And um, in the background is a pastoral Ontario setting that looks very much like the area where Oscar Cahane settled with his family near King, Ontario. And uh, the little girl is chasing two butterflies with a butterfly net. And, you know, it's sunny and, and they're all smiling and everything. I find interesting is that it's freedom from fear, except for the butterflies. <laughs> it's kind of relative. So with Oscar, there was never a straightforward kind of illustration of something. Um, there's always that kind of level of complexity. So it sort of gets you thinking about, well, what do these butterflies mean in this context? Um, they're slightly being threatened. You know, there's, there's still sort of this edge of freedom being something you have to kind of keep an eye out for or monitor or, or consider from different points of view. Um, the butterflies show up in other pastoral or very sort of calm, folksy scenes. Uh, he seems to use them wherever he has a particularly bucolic subject. 
Um, and sometimes those subjects are very sincere. Uh, there's a standard cover, for instance, of a little girl. She's, she's getting ready to go to Girl Guides, and her mother is braiding her hair in the kitchen, and all her little brothers and sisters are watching. And uh, the kitchen is filled with wonderful country paraphernalia, and there's butterflies <laughs> that really um, sort of emphasize the, the, the pleasant calmness and peace of that scene. Uh, but then he uses the butterflies again, for instance, in uh, a highly satirical uh, McLean's cover, where there's a buxom blonde and she's about to start painting a landscape scene. And uh, it's satirical because she's got a how-to-paint manual on the ground before her. She hasn't actually started on the canvas yet. She's actually painting her face, looking in a mirror. She's not seems more, more concerned with appearances than she is with actually getting down and doing some work as an artist. And we know that Oscar, from what he has, he's left in his writings, we know that he was very critical of how to paint type uh, courses and manuals. He really, really hated any kind of formulaic approach to art. Uh, so there the butterflies are sort of this super cute thing. There's other super cute animals in that scene as well that tell us that, that he's, he's being better um, sarcastic. Uh, and then he uses the butterflies again as fine art, where they seem to represent some sort of spiritual being. There's pictures of people praying, for instance, with, with butterflies around them. So that's just one motif. Um, <laughs> do you want to talk about others? Yeah, and uh, in the illustration work, there's a particular one, The Children Go to War. Uh, if I'm, I might have misstated uh, the title, but it's basically a children's army. And that has a butterfly in it, too, doesn't it? Yeah, I think it does. Let me look again. Yeah. And the oh. device of the butterfly in the paintings, uh, were, or the proximity of the butterfly, was always quite um, tantalizing. You didn't really know, uh, and you couldn't know. You know, was it about to land, or had it just been missed? Yeah, it kind of takes on different meanings. I'm just uh, having a look in our catalog here at the painting, at the drawing that you just mentioned, which is uh, for a story that ran in McLean's called When the Children Went to War in 1954. And, uh, yeah, there's an army of boys, uh, and they're all fitted out in kind of World War II-looking uh, soldier outfits. And, yes, there's a butterfly accompanying them. Meanwhile, there's also a man who's just been squashed by a falling timber and big snarls of barbed wire and broken trees and windows. Uh, the broken tree, by the way, was another motif that Oscar used quite a bit in both his... Uh, illustration and, and his paintings. Um, and uh, there's another symbol in that same picture, uh, which is the, the boy's hands are in this sort of crescent grasping shape, which Jolene uh, likens to the, uh, uh, to the reach of the Nazis as, uh, as the Third Reich. Um, and seems to often accompany uh, uh, texts which have to do with power and hegemony and uh, uh, oppression, really. Um. Yeah, oppression is right, the best word. Yeah. Um, yeah, Oscar, is, he takes a very expressionist uh, method for, for portraying the human form, and with that, he distorts quite a lot. Um, one of the distortions that he uses is uh, 
making arms too short or too long or hands too big or too small. And um, they crop up in odd places. Uh, it seems that when a character is sort of disempowered, the arms sort of shrivel a bit or hang very uselessly. Uh, when a when a character is very strong, the arms get big and start to reach. And uh, we can see this sort of reaching arm shapes and, and grasping hands show up in his abstract work as uh, sort of extended bars with crescent shapes on the end. In your essay, you mentioned um, part of the conditions of his release from the camp. The was it the POW camp or the? Yeah. Was mm -hmm. uh, not to make politically subversive work. Mm -hmm. How did that affect um, the work he was doing in his illustration, um, as far as like covering issues or not covering issues? Was that something that was important to him? I think so long as uh, the work was assigned to him by the bastions of publishing in Canada and mainstream publishers, uh, you know, he was hired to illustrate whatever story he was given. So uh, he uh, was able to, I think perhaps he was given uh, politically relevant work at times because of his background. Uh, in the war work, for instance, we see him doing a lot of relief drive posters and that sort of thing. So his his direct political commentary in his illustration is based on the kinds of work that he was being given and, and therefore, you know, not subversive per se. Um, what would count as subversive uh, political activity during the 40s and 50s would have been communist for sure, right? That was a no-no as we went into the Cold War. Mm -hmm. um, that would have been the main one, I think. Uh, and so we don't really see him overtly expressing his own politics, uh, whatever they may have been. Um, as an artist, we know he was interested in the avant-garde and left-leaning, um, but we're seeing that more in his forcing or, or development of avant-garde techniques, both as a fine art painter and as an illustrator. Um, but because he was interested in abstract art, uh, his, his political sentiments are, are more subdued. He's not out there you know, making direct statements in the spine art. Michael, you probably there, got something to add. There was a, actually an inadvertent uh, episode when uh, he was asked to illustrate a story uh, about uh, the adoption system in Saskatchewan, and he visualized a particular character and drew him. And as it turned out, it was a dead ringer for the character. Oh, this is and, Alberta, uh, right? Alberta, oh, beg your pardon, yeah. 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 And so there was a scandal, which, uh, you know, libel suits and all the rest of it. <clears throat> and so uh, he, he uh, that, I think that was probably the most controversial um, public uh, um, debate that happened. And then there's another one where he illustrated the world as seen by a blind man. And that uh, got a lot of recognition and discussion. So his, I think he had a lot to say. And just thinking about the body of work, probably dodged uh, many uh, political mm, opportunities, political statement opportunities. Now, generally speaking, um, you know, politics weren't uh, uh, an option for uh, illustrators of magazine fiction. Mm -hmm. So it, it um, you know, unless he was doing posters for the labor movement or something like that, um, which he wasn't, 
mm-hmm. uh, there weren't that many. Uh, uh, it, it, it wasn't so much of an issue uh, that people were concerned about him uh, being a subversive. Can I ask Jolene later, in the, the years later, do you remember that piece on uh, Stop the Liberal Stranglehold on Ottawa? Right. Mm-hmm. What, 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 how did that work? Well, that was a fiction story that ran in McLean's, and um, it was called, if I get this right, it's uh, When Every Woman Looked Like Regina Lee, and I believe it came out in 54, 55. And um, it was actually a, a science fiction story. It was set in the future. And the idea was that the liberals uh, had stayed in power for about a century, and uh, somebody had decided that they must return Canada to democracy by getting people interested in voting again, because basically there was this sort of mass apathy and things kind of okay, so they just ticked along. It kind of I keep it reminiscent of what happened in the 90s. <laughs> I was thinking of Alberta right now with the Conservative Party. <laughs> yeah, right. So, uh, unfortunately, uh, I haven't read the whole story in depth, and that's because, and this is a message for any professional illustrator out there, when you save your tear sheets, please save the whole story. (laughs) So we've got the picture pages, but we don't have the other pages. So (laughs) I actually have to go find the original McLean's to look up the whole story to figure out what the heck Goster was illustrating. And that's probably all the way through. The same is true of that uh, story of the children going to war, yeah. uh, uh, which, you know, again, at first looks as though he's violating his um, his parole, as it were, not to uh, get involved with, uh, with political subjects, but it, this, again, was a science fiction story about war in the future. So, uh, so he's sort of exempt. But he was able to sort of sneak in his uh, personal views uh, through symbols and, and uh, uh, you know, a more lighthearted kinds of treatments of the imagery. Yeah, um, certainly it's going to take uh, a lot more research to see just what Oscar was adding to each story, um, because this is just the very first thing that's ever been done on Oscar's illustration. We're, we're just at the very beginning. Uh, I think there's a lot more we could say about image-text relationships, and uh, as we track down the complete stories, we can start to evaluate how much Oscar was adding into illustrations that was not actually specified in the text. And that will give us a lot of insight into how he may have been self-expressing. And that's an area in which most people wouldn't even think to look, but uh, because a great many illustrators were simply kind of mirroring the text with a a very literal depiction of the characters presented. Uh, But that's not uh, what Oscar was about. He was uh, very much adding to the text or... or, um, slipping in other dimensions to uh, pictorial dimensions to the work so that he was adding in a a commentary or um, providing a a sort of a parallel um, text if you will in the form of um, of symbols and shapes in the the pictures that uh, would have a commentary on the text apart from the literal depiction of it. 
sir. Um, he definitely suppressed some things um, or brought out others to get a point across. Uh, there's one story called One, Two, Three Little Indians where, um, from what we can tell, it was meant to be sort of a social consci consciousness-raising story because uh, I think it runs the McLean's and they had put a byline uh, to alert the reader that this was a story that would challenge them. And um, the text specifies a cabin far up in the north, uh, perhaps on an Indian reserve, and um, there's a, a, a small child and uh, a man uh, that are the main characters. And uh, so Oscar chooses to show the interior of this cabin by papering uh, the walls of the cabin like the, they're portrayed uh, with cut-out pieces of newsprint that he's collaged together. And then he's drawn a, a stove, which, by the way, was another symbol that he used quite a bit to um, give uh, a setting a certain mood. And uh, wood burning a stove. social condition. Yeah, an old wood burning stove. And um, and then the man is standing between the stove and a bed, and in the bed is the child, a very small child or baby. Now the text actually specifies that the the bed has a quilt on it. Now a quilt would have been kind of colorful and cheerful, but because this was evidently supposed to be a uh, you know, social consciousness raising story, Oscar has decided not to show the quilt and instead has just portrayed uh, the bed coverings as red. So, uh, like most Canadian jobs, it's a two color job. So, black ink and then this red. Uh, and that gives a completely different feeling than kind of the, the cozy poverty that was depicted in the text. Michael. Um, have you done anything like this with your father in the past, like exhibitions um, with his uh, abstract and fine artwork? The the abstract work has been shown a few times. Uh, he, so he died in 1956, mm -hmm. and in 58 was a major retrospective that traveled the country. And there was a big show after that launched by the AGO. Uh, I think it was about 90 pieces, uh, which... Uh, ran in 83 and 84 and then after that and I think this is uh, you know I have to count myself in the earlier years is to blame for why there's less there's not enough awareness is that things went very quiet and uh, you know there were the painters 11 got some traction here in Canada and so as the painters 11 popped up here and there uh, Oscar of course was always included how has your understanding of his work changed uh, through this process as Jaylene's been uh, pulling out this work and kind of understanding it more? Yeah, you nailed it there. It's uh, uh, I I've learned more in the last, uh, I don't know what the craziness was, maybe six weeks, Jaylene? I can't even count it now. <laughs> well, we just had the idea at the beginning of June, and we didn't get going until the second week of August. <laughs> yeah. It's been unbelievably fast. <laughs> yeah. So we had work that was, uh, it, it was, it was. Um, I wouldn't say it was back-burnered, but it was, it, the, the priorities that I had were to uh, try and get conservator time and get as much into the cycle as we could do. And, and we started with paintings that uh, needed work, sort of as an urgent, and then we, you know, wanted to, and to build the collection up. And the illustrations I was doing in ones and twos and most of them were in print drawers. And I, I, I was aware of them, and they were sort of part of my vocabulary, but I didn't 
uh, understand them uh, really until Jolene started to unpack and and uh, you know when you hang a show it's almost the same thing you start to see things differently as you as they're on the wall and how you position them mm-hmm. and there were groupings that uh, particularly startled startled me was the interaction between the painting and the illustration are there any plans for something in Vancouver uh, yeah plan I'm uh, sort of I have a mission I'm on a mission uh, <laughs> Vancouver uh, the venues there are some commercial I mean what Roger's done for example is uh, you know stepped up and said we need this show right? there nothing's for sale there it's a it's a it's an exhibition with a purpose to introduce Oscar. Mm-hmm. In Vancouver, this I don't know of a of a suitable venue uh, where we could achieve the same uh, result. But what we really would like to have happen is that the all the work that's been done, which is thirty eight pieces, is it Roger that we have up something like that? Uh, thirty five are hanging. 35? We have forty here, forty one here altogether. And then you you know you would have ideally liked to do about eighty, and so what we're hoping is we can get a second bounce where we have uh, more than one venue in Canada, and uh, expand because in that short period of time, what came out of the drawer was assessed, um, went through conservators, then you know the drill basically it's framing and it's a massive job, and so I think we achieved a huge amount. Uh, sort of coil springed energy was there and uh, I see it as just the beginning Roger yeah me sorry I just want to cut in and say like um, this show is ready to travel uh, because Michael has done so much work with it and you know we've pulled together something really cool Um, the only thing we're really waiting on in my view is for the Canadian establishment at the museum level to figure out the illustration is okay to show yeah yeah that's a larger issue. <laughs> the, um, um, the thing that strikes me about the group, I mean, we, we chose it rather carefully to, to represent as many aspects of Oscar's illustration work as we could, but um, we only have one abstract picture to sort of um, uh, stand in for the rest of his career. Uh, I would love to see a show that really mixed the two sides up a little more thoroughly and um, drew some more parallels, um, as Jolene does in her essay, between the fine art and the illustration. Mm-hmm. Roger, yeah, tell I me... I think that would blow a few people away, because uh, traditionally, you know, art historians have been accustomed to thinking of them as such different things, that how could they ever uh, be considered in the same space? Um, but I think exactly. that uh, how, do you, how would an artist really make two different conceptual spaces for their work um, when they're working on the same stuff at the same time. (laughs) (laughs) I I wonder if I could hear from Roger a bit about about the show itself and about the gallery, about Illustration House. Right. So uh, my father started our gallery back in the 1970s in Connecticut. Um, He was an illustration historian and um, just sort of had a uh, broad interest in illustration across the board, uh, having written uh, a series of uh, books with uh, biographical sketches on, on hundreds of different illustrators. 
And so uh, we moved the gallery to New York in the mid-'80s and uh, started holding auctions in the late-'80s. But we we don't have a uh, particular stable of artists or a particular focus. So it's really... um, uh, when we're not holding general purpose shows like like we do during an auction, uh, we can kind of uh, you know select whatever uh, subject or artist appeals to us, and uh, and that's that's great to have that kind of freedom. So uh, when I first became aware of Oscar's work, it was I, I thought oh a little show would be nice. And we can sort of combine it with some other things that we have, um, you know, general interest uh, drawings and paintings. But um, Oscar's work uh, really, uh, as you see it now, it's uh, it really fills the gallery in uh, both literally and um, and it has a, a tremendous presence. You know, many of his illustrations are much larger than most artists, commercial artists' work in that period. So um, they really, they really stand out off the walls. Around what size would you say the pieces are? Uh, there's a couple of large horizontals that are uh, like 18 by 40 inches. Oh wow! And. Uh, he did a number of pieces that were designed to be double spreads in the magazine. So they'd run across the gutter and fit around text. So sometimes they're they're uh, sort of odd, oddly shaped, and you you wouldn't know by looking at them exactly how they fit on the page. Uh, and that's one reason why we were very keen on collecting the tear sheets and uh, connecting them up with the the drawings so we could see uh, you know exactly how he made use of the space of the pages and fit the text around it. And where is uh, Illustration House located? We're at 110 West 25th Street in New York uh, in Manhattan. It's really kind of in the eastern edge of the neighborhood called Chelsea. Mm-hmm. Very nice. Well I want to thank you all for taking the time uh, to chat with me today about Oscar's work. It sounds uh, pretty amazing, and I hope folks follow the links on the website to check it out. Um, what's the website for uh, the work you've been posting, um, Michael? The We, we have a, a sort of a, a, a twin to the main website, which is uh, com. And that links to Jolene's and Roger's work, and then you can go from there to Illustration House and vice versa. And then we have a main site, which is OscarCahane.com. Excellent. Well, thank you, Michael, Roger, Jolene. Thank I you. I appreciate thank you all you. taking the time. Yeah, many thanks. Thank fun. you.